Please turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. And join me in prayer. Father, the old folks would say you've been better to us than we've had sense enough to be to ourselves. And as Amari testified, Lord, you're looking out for us when we aren't even looking out for you. You're a faithful God. You're a good God. You're a merciful God. You are a loving God, a kind God, a present God, a God who gives good gifts to his children. First and foremost, the gift of eternal life through the giving of your son, Jesus Christ, who died on Calvary's cross in our place, taking our sins upon his body. We thank you for his death, but we also thank you for his burial, and above all, we thank you for his resurrection. We thank you that we have been begotten again into a living hope. So Lord, I pray for those who have eternal hope that you would bless us with what we need right now to have daily hope, Monday hope, Tuesday hope, Wednesday hope, bills in the mailbox hope, struggling with co-workers hope, um, dealing with deaths in our family kind of hope because hope does not disappoint. So Jesus, touch your congregation today through the word. We thank you that we got a chance to touch you through our worship and praise. Now, touch us by your spirit through what you would have to say to us today. Lord, we want to leave with a better understanding of the kingdom of God. We want to leave with a better understanding today of the fact that you reign and that we do not make you king. We do not make you Lord. You are king, you are Lord, and we choose to acknowledge that today while there's breath in our lungs. We bow the knees of our heart and say, Jesus, you are Lord. There is none like you. There's none beside you, and surely there is none over you. Help me to preach and teach your word that you might be glorified, your people edified, and the devil horrified. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Revelation chapter 20, beginning at verse 1, and I'll be reading from the New King James Version. And the Bible says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. And I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God. 
who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is, the, is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. I have a simple title to a complex passage of scripture, and it's simply called The King Will Reign. The King, who is Jesus, he will reign. Well, I'm sure you would agree that Christianity is a faith and not a religion. I'm sure you would agree, I hope you would agree, that Christianity is not a religion. It is a faith. For religion is man's search for God. But Christianity is God's search for man. Oh, that's so good. I got to say it one more time. Religion is God's or man's search for God. Christianity is God's search for man. The Bible says that when Jesus came into the world, he said, the son of man has come to seek and to save those who are lost. Any saved people in here today? Anybody that Jesus found in here today? Amen. He found me. He found me. He found me. Thank God for that. And since Christianity is a faith and not a religion, uh, we have to walk in faith. Just as much as we've been saved by faith, we have to, according to the Bible, walk in faith. And not only that, the book of Hebrews says that the only way we can please God is by faith. Save by faith. Walk by faith. Please God by faith. And then in the book of Jude, it says in verse 3 that as Christians, we are to contend for the faith. Not for the religion, but for the faith that was once and for all passed down to us by Jesus and the apostles. So Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is a faith. So therefore, it takes faith to believe there is a God. It takes faith to believe that. It takes faith to believe that God created the world. It takes faith to believe that there was a universal flood. It takes faith to believe that God parted the Red Sea. It takes faith to believe that Moses was able to speak to the rock and water came from out of it. It takes faith to believe that God fed the children of Israel every day for 40 years with snowflakes, or rather cornflakes from on high. It takes faith to believe that Elijah ascended into heaven in chariots 
of fire. It takes faith to believe that. It takes faith to believe that when some men were trying to bury a loved one, some raiders were coming and they quickly dropped the body down into a hole to escape from the raiders and they dropped it down into a hole where Elisha, the prophet, was buried. And when the body came down and merely touched the bones of Elisha, the Bible says that that dead man jumped to his feet alive. It takes faith to believe that. You see, some people have said that God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. But I got a remix for you. God said it, that settles it, whether you believe it or not. Because it takes faith to believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. It takes faith to believe that Jesus turned water into wine. It takes faith to believe that Jesus fed 5,000 people in one setting with sardines and crackers. It takes faith to believe that Jesus healed lepers and gave sight to the blind and opened up the ears of the deaf and that he raised Lazarus from the dead. It, it takes faith to believe that, and it also takes faith to believe that Jesus raised himself from the dead. Christianity is a faith, and it also takes faith to believe that Jesus is in heaven. It takes faith to believe that Jesus is coming back from heaven, and it also takes faith to believe that Jesus will reign right here on the earth in the latter day. And what I'm about to share with you from the passage I just read in your hearing, Revelation chapter 20, is going to take faith to believe. But you believe some things by faith that were like, wow. And you're about to hear some things that are going to be like, wow. And you're going to be tempted to lean on your own understanding because rationally you can't figure it out. But I'm so glad that our faith is not contingent upon finite people figuring stuff out. No, again, we accept it as true because God said it. So my question is, as we learned last week in Revelation 19, that when Jesus returns, that heaven will open. John said, I saw a white horse and he who sat on the horse was faithful and true, and he had crowns, many crowns on his head. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and he came back to conquer those who had come against the people of God uh, in the battle of Armageddon. And my wife and I, we've been to Israel a couple of times, and we got a chance to see Har Megiddo, or the Valley of Megiddon. And it is a huge, I mean, it is enormous. And as we sat there on the plane looking at Har Megiddo, we were like, oh my God, we can see a battle here. But it really won't be a battle that will require us to fight, as we saw last week. We're in uh, the armies following behind the Lord. And the Lord will strike those armies with the word, the breath of his mouth, and destroy them as they're standing on their feet. And we said that this is tough for some of us because we typically see Jesus as a lamb who was slain, who was gentle, but not as the lion who will rule and who will even kill. But we want the Bible to give us our understanding of who Jesus is and not some after school special trying to paint Jesus as some guy that's always smiling all the time. 
No, the Bible talks about the wrath of God. And Jesus is coming. He is coming again. And so we covered that last week and how he dealt with the beast and the false prophet and the nations. But now in chapter 20, as he begins his reign on the earth that he created, he has some unfinished business he has to take care of first and foremost. And in verses one through three, we see how the devil got dealt with. Amen. The devil got dealt with. And, and just so that we don't get it twisted, John is going to give us four different titles of the one fallen being. He calls him the dragon. He calls him the serpent. He calls him the devil. He calls him Satan. Just so that you don't get it twisted. That there's an angel who has been given authority over this angel and a key, which speaks again of authority in the kingdom of God, to cast Satan into the bottomless pit, binds him first and casts him into the bottomless pit. So he's falling, falling, falling. He is bound. And then Jesus begins his reign on the earth. Now, before I go any further, I need to call out something to you as good Bible students. We look at words because every word of God is inspired. And we look at repetition in scripture. And here in the verses I read to you, uh, the words thousand years appears six times. Thousand years, a thousand years, it appears six times. Now, I've been to seminary, I've been to grad school and hanging around a lot of preachers and theologians and they like to debate anything and everything. Sometimes they just like to hear themselves talk and they just debate things and the question on the floor is always, is 1,000 years literal or is it figurative? Is what we see in the book of Revelation, is it literal or is it figurative? And so when they come to chapter 20, many of my friends in the faith See, 1,000 years is figurative and not as literal. But I, for one, see 1,000 years that's been repeated six times as literal and not figurative. But let me answer that question with a question on is it literal or figurative? First question I have to answer the question is, in this same passage, is Jesus figurative or literal? Uh, is Satan, the devil, uh, uh, the serpent of old, is he figurative or literal? We don't need to play hopscotch with interpreting the Bible in order to fit into our theological or denominational box. No, we let the scriptures interpret the scriptures and tell us the plain meaning of what it's saying. And so I, for one, believe that this is a literal thousand year reign because I have to also ask is Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. Is it figurative or is it literal? Somebody said, Pastor, which one are you talking about? Well, let me read it for you. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born. Oh, Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas. That's what we like, right? Oh, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Thank you for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Oh, this is the first advent of Jesus. But well, we can't leave Jesus with the first advent because the next portion of verse six talks about his second advent or his second coming where it says, and the government will be on his shoulder. The government was not upon Jesus' shoulder the first time he came. 
But on the second time he comes, oh, the government will be upon his shoulder and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace. There will be no end. Sounds like uh, Jesus is going to reign on earth for a thousand years and then he's going to reign in heaven and the new Jerusalem, the new heaven and the new earth. There will be no end to his reign. And then it goes on to say upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this, will accomplish this, will accomplish the kingship of Jesus Christ. His throne will be forever. He was rejected as the king of the Jews. Matter of fact, they ridiculed him, as we saw last week, by placing the inscription above his head on the cross. Here is the king of the Jews. They mocked him. They beat him. They spat upon him. But there is coming a day where the king will not be mocked, where the king will not be beaten. He will not be spat upon. Every knee will bow of things in heaven, things on the earth and things under the earth that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So his reign is literal, not figurative. But I got a couple of questions I want to throw at you today. And the first one is, where will Jesus reign for 1,000 years? If, in fact, he will reign, where will he reign? And if you've been hanging with me for any amount of time, you know that I cut down any notion that he's going to reign from Washington, D.C. here in the United States of America. Uh, no, 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 no. Jesus is going to reign from Jerusalem. Uh, let me read for you Micah chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and people shall flow to it. Stop and pause. God's going to shift the topography a little bit because Israel, Jerusalem, already sits on the mountain, Mount Zion. But God says, I'm going to lift this mountain up even higher than what it is in its present state because it's going to be supreme over every other place on the face of the earth and all people shall flow to it. Verse 2, many nations shall come and say, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion, the law shall go forth and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples and rebuke strong nations afar off. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Why? Because the prince of peace is on the throne and he's reigning on the earth, will reign for 1,000 years. The government will be on his shoulders and he will reign from Jerusalem. Number two, who will... Jesus reign over for 1,000 years. We know where he's going to reign. Who is he going to reign over? Well, we just read he will reign over the nations. Uh, Psalm 2 verse 8 confirms that. He will reign over glorified saints. Revelation chapter 20 verse 4 uh, confirms that. And he will also reign over the survivors of what many of us call the tribulation period, 
and their children. There will be people who will survive what occurs in Revelation 19, when Jesus destroys the beast, the false prophet, and the nations who have come and assembled in the battle of Armageddon. But there will be people who will survive that time, who will cross over into the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. And Jesus will rule over them and the children that they will have. Revelation chapter 20, verse 7. Thirdly, what will Jesus do while reigning for 1,000 years? Well, he can do whatever he wants to do because he's God. But here's a couple clues from Scripture. Number one, he will rule with a rod of iron. So the government will be upon his shoulders. He is the prince of peace. He will rule from Jerusalem, even on David's throne. So what will he do? How will he accomplish this? He will rule with a rod of iron. Psalm chapter 2, verse 9, and Isaiah chapter 24, verses 21 through 22. Iron speaks of strength, that he will rule with strength, not in weakness, but in power and endurance. Not only that, he will teach the word of God. So that means all of us who are trying our best to teach, we're going to be relieved of duty because the teacher, capital T, the rabbi, uh, the master, the one who wrote the book is going to teach the book. And so the knowledge of the Lord is going to cover the world as the waters cover the seas, it says in the book, in, in the Old Testament. So the knowledge of God will go out from Mount Zion, from Jerusalem. Jesus will teach the word of God. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 9. And thank God, he will save souls during that time. Joel chapter 2, verse 32 confirms that for us. So where will Jesus reign? From Jerusalem. Who will Jesus reign over? The nations, the saints the survivors of the tribulation. What will Jesus do while reigning? He will rule with a rod of iron. He will teach the word of God and he will save souls. Fourth, who will Jesus reign with for 1,000 years? Or rather, who will reign with Jesus for 1,000 years? Um, I love this because Jesus invites us in to share in an aspect of his glory. The Bible says that we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus, uh, he dispenses authority to his followers. Well, who will reign with Jesus for a thousand years? Number one, Old Testament saints, people who were saved before Christ came, who were saved by faith, looking forward to the Messiah, deliverer who was to come, just like those of us who are saved on this side of Christ coming by looking back to the Messiah who came. We're saved by faith in God's Messiah. And so there will be Old Testament saints according to Daniel chapter 7, verse 18 and verse 27, who will rule with Jesus. Then the 12 apostles will rule with Jesus. Matthew chapter 19, verse 28, Jesus talks about how the 12 apostles will sit on 12 thrones and they will even judge the 12 tribes of Israel, my God. And then church age saints, that's you and that's me. We will also reign with Jesus sitting on thrones because remember John said, I saw thrones. And so we will be there in glorified bodies ruling and reigning with Jesus on thrones. 
2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. It says, if we endure, we shall also reign with him. Is that true or not? It's true. We shall reign with him. My Lord, he's allowing us to share in his glory. My goodness. So not only will Old Testament saints and the 12 apostles and the church age saints, but also Revelation chapter 20 verse 4 says that tribulation saints will reign with him. Those who were decapitated, who were violently killed because they would not deny Jesus, um, they will reign with Christ as well for that 1,000 years. Well, who and what will the saints reign over? For 1,000 years, if we're ruling and reigning with Jesus, uh, what or who will we reign over? Well, we will assist Jesus in ruling over humans, ruling over the nations. Now, again, he's the ruler. He's the king of kings. But we will assist the king by ruling over humans and nations as just judges. Man, wouldn't that be nice if we had some of them today as kind kings, as righteous rulers, and as moral mayors and magistrates. Oh, yes, we will rule with him over nations, over states, over cities, over counties, over communities. The saints, Old Testament, New Testament, those who've been beheaded, we will reign with Jesus Christ. Somebody said, I don't believe it. Well, let me look at Jesus' words in Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, yes, 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 uh, Luke chapter 19, what's my verse, verse 17, the Bible reads, the Bible reads, let me find it, and he said to him, this, these are in the red letters, so you know he said that, and he said to him, well done, good servant, because you were faithful in a very little, have authority over 10 cities. And the second came saying, Master, your minna has earned five minutes. Likewise, he said to him, you also be over five cities. So it's a parable that has truth in it that speaks of the latter day that God will judge and reward his people. To whom much is given, much is required. And some of us are going to rule over cities, over states. Over towns, ruling, reigning as just judges, kind kings, righteous rulers, and moral magistrates. But not only that. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3, Paul said to a church that was ready to take each other to court over some mess. And he was like, can't y'all figure this out inside the church? Why y'all got to take the business to the world? Y'all dirty business, man. Handle it in here. Because don't you know? You will judge angels. Angels. Now, that's not talking about the good ones. It's talking about the bad ones. Those fallen angels that give us hell week in and week out. No, no, no. The God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath our feet. So we get to reign and rule with Jesus and judge demons. No wonder I was getting messed up this week as I was studying because, man, whenever you start exposing uh, the enemy, he has a way of just really trying to turn it up a little bit to, to, to distract you, discourage you from teaching and preaching. But I got to put this out there, too. This final question here. 
What else is going to happen during this thousand-year reign? What else is going to happen? Well, during the millennium, humans will live longer. The Bible says this in Isaiah chapter 65, verses 17 through 20. People are going to live longer during the thousand-year reign because it's kind of going to go back to the time uh, right after the fall, you know, in Eden, the fall, but people live longer during that time. And so now with the king on the earth, the devil in the pit, God is going to make it in such a way where people will live longer. During the millennium, humans who live longer will have children. And because they're living longer, they're going to have more children, so there's going to be a population explosion. There will probably be more people on the face of the earth at that time during the millennium than there are even now. So there will be billions of people on the earth. And Isaiah chapter 11, verse 8, lets us know that they will have children. During the millennium, vicious animals will all of a sudden be gentle. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 6 through 8, talking about children playing by uh, vipers' nests and things like that. Some of y'all got children that play by that stuff now. But, but, but we got some folk in here. Don't mention snake, don't mention spider. But during that time, kids are going to be able to play around wild and vicious animals. Somebody said, I don't believe it. Well, hold on. During the millennium, humans and resurrected saints will intermingle. I've been waiting to get to this part. People who survived the tribulation, who are going to have children, people are going to live longer during that time. But then you're going to have saints reigning and ruling with Jesus Christ. Jesus will be in his resurrected body. Saints will be in our resurrected bodies as well. And, and, and let me say this to the saints. Remember when Jesus said, um, in the kingdom, there will not be marriage. You know, you're going to be single, just like angels are single. So during that thousand-year reign on the earth, if you're a Christian and, you're, uh, you, 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 and you come back with Jesus, he resurrects you, you're in your new body, you will be single during that thousand-year reign. Some of y'all are saying, praise God, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Others of us are mourning and moaning. But we said we wanted to be like Jesus. He was single. We're going to be single. Because marriage is simply an illustration of God's love for us. So once we experience God's love for us through Jesus Christ, we're his bride, he's the groom, we no longer need the illustration anymore. So we're going to reign with Christ, and we're going to intermingle with people who are not in glorified bodies. Somebody said, Pastor, man, I, I, I just don't believe that, man. Well, you must not believe the resurrection account either. If you don't believe that glorified people can hang out with unglorified people, you don't believe the resurrection account. Why? Because when Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says some of the dead saints got up from the grave and walked around the holy city. And that's found in Matthew chapter 27, verses 51 through 53. We believe that. Well, why can't we believe this? Not only that, when Jesus resurrected from the dead, he spent time with regular people. When Jesus got up in his body, glorified body, he spent time on the earth with regular people. Luke chapter 24, Luke 24, 
Let's see here. Strong Tower, what you think, church? No. Strong Tower Bible Church. Let me go at verse 40. It says, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish. I wonder if he had hot sauce and some honeycomb. And he took it and ate it in their presence. Now, there are many appearances that Jesus made um, after the crucifixion where he appeared to his disciples for a span of 40 days, the Bible says in the book of Acts. So the resurrected Christ is appearing, and, and he's like, touch my body, see the holes, see the wounds. I am still here with you in the flesh, and I am the Son of God. I've always been the Son of God, uh, but, but, but now I'm in this resurrected body, and I'm hanging with you. And some of y'all think it's a ghost. No, it's not a ghost, but dig this, though. He could eat fish in the upper room but he could also walk through walls and hang out with them in the upper room. So his body could become uh, um, uh, immaterial at times. His body could be material. Uh, and, and, and so that's who Jesus was. He could step on a cloud and ascend to heaven weightless, but we know he had all weight because weight is another word for glory. And so God is amazing right here, right now. And he's hanging out with folks who are sinners and fallen and human. So don't say it can't happen in the millennium, because I got even better news. Well, some good news for you. First John chapter 3, verse 2 says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So when the church sees Jesus, we're going to be transformed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. This mortal will put on immortality. This corruptible will put on incorruptible. And we're going to receive bodies like Jesus' body. Now, we're still going to look like ourselves. Somebody said, man, I don't get a makeover. Nothing. We're still going to look like ourselves. But we're also going to have bodies like Christ, which means we can eat and hang out with people. And if I need to go to the other side of the world, I can jump a cloud and get there in a second. I don't believe that. Well, I said this is a faith, isn't it? This is true. This is real. Why not? So all these things are going to happen. And during the millennium, humans will still have sinful hearts. So Jesus will be there. The glorified saints will be there. Humans will be there. And as such, they will still be fallen. Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 9 that the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. So during the millennium, humans will still have the ability to choose Jesus or reject Jesus. So dig it. He's reigning from Zion, Jerusalem. He's teaching. He's ruling with a rod of iron. He has resurrected people reigning with him, intermingled with humans, and there will be some humans who will still not receive Jesus, who will still not believe Jesus, who still will not trust Jesus. Some will call on the name of the Lord and be saved, but some will not because God never overrides a human's ability to choose. He will not make you follow him. He gives you the choice on whether you will follow him. 
And I don't want to get into to the semantics of free will and sovereignty and election, but when we, when we read scripture, humans are held accountable for the choices they make or don't make. And so during the millennium, humans will be deceived by Satan to come against Jesus. So we see that in chapter 20, verse 8. But while the devil is falling in the pit, man is on the earth without demonic activity because we're judging devils and demons. But man, by the virtue of his falling heart, sin is so corruptible in us. We don't even need the devil to cause us to turn away from Jesus. Sin does that. Uh, 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 the, the marred soul, the depravity of man. You say, Pastor Chris, I can't believe that. Well, guess what? When Jesus walked the earth the first time as the Lamb of God, feeding the hungry, healing the sick, opening up blinded eyes, people ate his food but still did not give him their hearts. So don't you think that it won't happen then? Matter of fact, it's happening now. God's been good to us. He's caused his son to shine on the just and the unjust. He's caused rain to fall on the just and the unjust. But the unjust still will not trust God. Because the fool is said in his heart, there is no God. And even when God is reigning on the earth, people will reject him. And then when Satan gets out, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 20, verse 8, and he will go out to deceive the nations. He will deceive the nations, which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. That's Jerusalem. So they're coming against God's holy capital during the millennium. And again, some of y'all saying, Pastor Chris, I, I, I just don't believe that, man. You mean to tell me folk are, are going to see Jesus in the flesh on earth with all these resurrected saints and still not believe? Yeah, some will, some won't. Because Satan is such a good deceiver. You, you got to understand this. Not only is the heart fallen and, and beyond Knowing its wickedness, Jeremiah goes on to say in chapter 17. And Jesus talks about everything that comes out of a man, defiles a man. It's not the stuff that goes in, it's the stuff that's in the heart. The heart, the heart. We need salvation. But then there's the deceiver. He's so good, he's so good, he's so good. That he can deceive one-third of the angels who are in the presence of God to rebel against God. He's good at what he does. He's a master deceiver. He's so good he could deceive Judas to betray Jesus. With all that Judas saw, with all that Judas experienced and heard, Satan could deceive him. Not only that, Satan was a master deceiver when the Pharisees decided to reject the facts and the proofs of the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of Jesus. And they said, uh, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to fabricate this story. We're going to say that the disciples took his body. We're going to pay y'all off. You got to be deceived to look at an empty tomb and know this man got up. And you're going to make a lie, a lie that continues to this day, the Bible says. You've been deceived. 
And I just want to stop and pause and ask the question, is there a place in your life right now where you are being deceived by the devil? I know a lot of us say, man, no, not me, man. I could never be deceived by the devil. Well, when you say that right there, that sets you up to be deceived by the devil. Man, I'm a Christian, you know, and? He can't possess you if you're a Christian, but he can oppress you and mess with your mind and feed lies. So we got to deal with him. He, he, he comes against us and, and, and he wants to deceive believers. There are believers deceived right now who think, man, church is not for me. I, I, I don't need church to have a relationship with God. You are deceived. I don't need accountability in my life to really walk with God. You are deceived. You know, there are no consequences for the stuff I do, man, because God is a loving God, a God of grace. I can do whatever I want to do with whoever I want to do it with, whenever I want to do it, and there are no consequences. You are deceived. When you start putting your trust in man's government to save the country, you are deceived. You're deceived. And so how does one come out of being under the devil's deception. I, I don't want to be deceived no more. Well, admit that it's possible for you to be deceived. People come to me all the time. I feel the Lord is telling me to do X, Y, and Z, and I can't find X, Y, and Z in the Bible, but they're saying God told me. No, God didn't tell you that. You told you that, or the liar told you that. Or as Elder Sherman would say, they, they put these butts in there. I know the Lord said I'm supposed to be married until death, and this man, this woman hadn't done anything to me worthy of divorce, but I need my peace of mind. Uh, I know I'm supposed to be married, but you deceived. That's what you is. Not what you are. That's what you is. You's deceived. You got to admit it, man, that I have come under the deception of Satan. And by the way, after being under the deception of Satan, which is horrible, deceiving yourself is just as bad. You lying to yourself. So who's the father of lies? And, uh, you know, I just need to protect myself because y'all are so toxic around there. You keep saying toxic and you ruin it when stuff really is toxic, but it ain't toxic, it's you. I know I done lost some of y'all. Let me get back to all this theology. Let me get back to this theology. But I got to put some stuff in there that's practical because if he could deceive people as in heaven, the angels in heaven, if he could deceive Judas, if he's going to deceive the nations, what do you think? Why do you think he can't deceive you or me? I don't have to forgive that person. You're deceived. I don't have to give any money to the Lord at church. You are deceived. I don't have to serve anybody. You're deceived. So how do I get free? I got to admit it, man. I got to repent. I got to pray. I got to seek the truth. I got to seek some help. Yeah. I might need to go see a counselor, see a pastor, a brother, a sister. Oh, my God. The devil is real. He's literal. But so is the king of kings. So in conclusion, Jesus will literally reign on the earth for 1,000 years. And if you don't believe that, you've been deceived by the devil. The devil is a deceiver, but not only that, 
thank God he is defeated. Because I just read this from this passage here, how it says in verse 10, the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. Now, it doesn't say where they were. It says where they are because they got cast up in there in chapter 19. They still roasting and toasting in chapter 20. They're going to burn, but not burn up. They're going to suffer. And then the devil is going to be cast there as well. I like chapter 19 and chapter 20 because the devil is being cast into the bottomless pit. He's being cast into the lake of fire. I just like that God just flinging him all over the place. So when the devil comes against me sometimes, like he did this past week, like he did Amari this past week, when the devil comes and, and, and sometimes his, his main thing is guilt. And he wants to remind you of your past. He wants to remind you. And I'm not talking about way back there. I'm talking about what you did an hour ago. He, he wants to remind you. What you said, what you thought, what you did. He, he wants to accuse the brothers and the sisters. Well, when he comes and talks about what we were in the past, sit down and have a Bible study with him and say, well, let me talk about what's going to happen to you in the future. You want to talk about my past? Let's talk about your future. Because you will be cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. My God. And I love how God is going to show up on this because when the devil gets the nations, he deceives them to come against Jesus and the saints. They're going to surround the Lord in the holy city. One last attempt. One last attempt. But I like what verse 9 says. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Did you see what I just saw? And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. My God. When I see this, you have Jesus on the throne. We're chilling with him on thrones as well. The enemy attacks, surrounds, but God answers from heaven by sending fire. Kind of takes you back to what he did with Elijah, right? with the prophets of Baal, and, and fire is going to come down. Now, as I'm reading this, I'm like, Jesus, you could have handled them. You could have just spoke the word like you did in Revelation 19 and obliterated everybody. But why did you have your father answer from heaven and take the enemy out for you and those reigning with you? Oh, and here's what the Spirit of the Lord showed me. What you see in Revelation chapter 20, verse 9, when fire comes down from heaven to destroy the devil and the warring nations, this is the fulfillment of Psalm 110, which says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. In other words, I got this. I, I, I got this. You took them out in chapter 19. The population grew back up in chapter 20. Son, I got this one. And fire came down from heaven. Now listen, since I am a saint of God, purchased by God, saved by grace through faith, I'm born again. I am part of the number in chapter 19 that's at the marriage supper of the Lamb. 
I'm part of the number that's in chapter 19 that's riding behind Jesus at the second coming on white horses with no weapons. I'm part of that number. And I'm part of the number of the people who are going to be sitting on thrones in a glorified body in Jerusalem with Jesus Christ. I'm part of that group. So when it speaks prophetically that the fire is going to fall, prophetically, I am there. And if you know Jesus, you are there too. So if I use my sanctified imagination, when the enemy is advancing and Jesus is cool on the throne, he's just chilling. He, he, he's not wondering what's going to happen. He know daddy about to handle this. So I'm looking at Jesus and I'm cool in my glorified body knowing that daddy going to handle this. And then when that fire comes down, I have to believe I'm going to look up. The fire's coming down from God and I am going to look up to see the deliverance of God. I just stopped by today to tell you that until that day, when you're going to look up and see God answer from heaven by fire, keep looking up now because your salvation is nigh. Keep looking up now because God is with you. So brothers and sisters, if you feel discouraged today, look up. <laughs> If you feel depressed today, look up. If you feel defeated today, look up. If you feel alone today, look up. If you feel attacked today, look up. If you feel outnumbered today, look up. If you feel surrounded today, look up. If you feel overwhelmed today, look up. If you feel lost today, look up. If you feel beat up today, look up. Why? Because I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Lift up your eyes, ye everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. So lift your head up. Earth, wind, and fire said it, but I'm going to remix it. Keep your head to the sky. Keep your head to the sky. Why? Because your deliverer, your redeemer, he is coming. And if he's coming then, he's going to come now. So whatever you're going through, look up, because God will give you the hookup. He'll give you the hookup. And so God's people stand up. Amen. Do you believe Revelation chapter 20? Do you believe it's literal? I sure do. Because God loves to save his people. He loves to save. He did it in the Old Testament. The Red Sea, they're trapped. Oh, what are we going to do? God saved his people by parting the Red Sea. The three Hebrew boys, man, they were in that fiery furnace, but God showed up and joined them in the fire because he loves to save his people. When uh, Jehoshaphat was coming against the army and God says, look, you, you, you ain't got to fight this battle. I just need you to stand still and watch the salvation of the Lord. And God set ambushes against the enemy and the enemy killed themselves. And not only did God take out the enemy, then when his children saw the folks all scattered around, they went and stripped the bodies and took the clothes and took the jewelry, took the money. They got really hooked up because they chose to look up and give God some prayer. I'm just trying to tell you this week, in the midst of spiritual warfare, don't be looking down. Don't be having your head down like you're defeated. Lift up your head. Seek those things which are above where Christ is. Walk like a champion. Walk like a victor. Walk like a conqueror because that is who you are in Jesus. And by faith, I'm going to consider it so. He reigns. 
He reigns. He reigns. He rules. Father, we thank you. We thank you for King Jesus. Lord, we just touched on this. I know for many of us, this may have been the first time we heard some stuff like this. Forgive me for not teaching more about the second coming of your son. I thank you, Lord, that we'll have some time to get more into this in Bible study this week, if you allow. But Lord, this is our faith that was once and for all handed down to us. And we want to hand these teachings down to our children. Lord, I thank you for our students who helped lead worship today. I thank you, Lord God, when your word says a child will lead. Thank you that they led us today. Thank you, Lord, I can look at Maya and see a miracle that, Lord, you healed her when she was a baby. And as we started talking about your goodness and we could shout unto you, Lord, you're doing so many miracles. You're, you're so good to each and every one of us. May we not have a short memory of the miracles and the great things you've done in our lives. May we look back so it gives us courage to look forward. Of your faithfulness, your hand of goodness, always stretching out your hand of providence, your hand of protection. You're such a powerful God. We bless you. Lord God, if we had 10,000 tongues, we couldn't praise you enough, but we will use the ones that we have to say thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for making a way out of no way. Thank you, Jesus, for taking care of us. Thank you for being a delivering God. Now, Lord, I pray that you would do what you said in your word, and that is to never leave your people, never to forsake your people. Recognizing, Lord, that your timing is perfect for those who are waiting on you for this, that, or the other. Give them fresh strength. Uh, give them the courage to say, Lord, if you don't come when I want or how I want, I know you're coming. Lord, because we are to live by faith. We trust you and we want to please you with our faith. Bless those, Lord, who are dealing with things in their body, things in their mind, things in their families and relationships, their finances, their material needs. Father, help them, take care of them. And as my sister said earlier, Lord, for every hard day that we didn't think we would make it, by your grace, we made it. So, Lord, help us to speak life with our tongues and not death, saying, I'm not going to make it. No, God, we're going to make it because we can do all things through Jesus who gives us strength. Now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ever ask or imagine, and it's according to the power that's working in us, to him be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forever when we reign with him and all of God's people said, Amen. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. Now, as you leave, you got to hug some folk. You got to hug some folk. Come on, you got to bless somebody before you leave. First time guests, it's a pleasure to have you here. Hope you come again. Have a blessed day in the Lord, everybody.